Today on Living Adventurously, I'm chatting to Jack Cornish, who describes himself on Twitter as an artist, a walker, and a Londoner. This episode is sponsored by Outdoor Rocks, a well-curated collection of outdoor and adventure movies, from mountain biking to kayaking, extreme skiing to climbing the biggest mountains. OutdoorRocks.com is the hub for outdoor video content, and it offers something for everyone. It's free to sign up and there are no annoying ads, (laughs) unlike on my podcast. So subscribe to their email newsletter today on www.outdoorrocks.com. Did you know that there are 140,000 miles of footpaths in England and Wales? It's an amazing historical legacy. But did you also know that there are around 10,000 miles of unregistered paths which will be lost forever unless they are logged before 2026. That is one of the missions of the Ramblers and Jack Cornish tells us what we can all do to help. Jack has walked the length of Britain from Land's End to John O'Groats and he's currently on a very lengthy mission to walk every street of London. Jack's trying to walk 2,020 miles in 2020, having already bagged 2,019 miles last year in 2019. Hello, Jack. Thanks for joining me today. Um, You work for the Ramblers. My first question, I need to get this one out of the way, is isn't the Ramblers a terrible name? Because I love what you do. I am pretty much in your demographic of a slightly dorky middle-aged bloke who goes wandering around the fields, Mm -hmm. but I still don't think, I can't yet bear to call myself a Rambler. A Rambler. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose it does have a particular connotation. Um, I mean, for me, I think why I like the name is that it and maybe, you know, this is not recognised by everyone, but it has that historic um, connection, you know, because it goes back to the Ramblers' federations of the 1910s and 20s. So so for me, you know, that's, you know, we used to be the Ramblers' association. I think the Ramblers is better than that. Um, but it goes back to that sort of historic roots of groups of people coming together, um, a lot of them in sort of um northern industrial towns and getting together and going out in the countryside so i you know i like that sort of historic callback i think on the name okay i stand corrected because that is actually (laughs) cool and actually the fact that these days i mostly go walking around the woods and claim that that is adventure is slightly tenuous (laughs) Um, but we back in the day then was that they used to lay on those big trains didn't they out of cities to go hiking and and i know certainly cycling um did they do that for hiking they did for they these so, yeah. trains out of london for biking with thousands yeah, of people you, going yeah exactly you see i've actually i've sort of flicked through some of the ramblers archive at some point and you see some of those adverts for these these trains that are going out and you know the, the sort of list of where you can get a cup of tea and a, and a, and a scone and stuff on your on your walk yeah. but um but it also included people um you know in the early days you know, if you go to somewhere like Sheffield, you can walk straight out from the city into the Peak District. So, you know, it was sort of, you sort of ramble from your from your front door as well. So, um, yeah. I, I bet there's some fantastic photo archives of it all. There's a, in, in cycling, there's a thing called um, the Rough Stuff 
club, okay. which is basically an early mountain biking club from the 50s with, with totally inappropriate bicycles and flasks of tea going over the mountains of Scotland. Um, I bet, And that's become really popular on Instagram. So I bet you could, digging through your archives must be quite interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. There's some great, I mean, you see the photos of, and I suppose, yeah, you see the photos of what people were wearing is amazing because, you know, and I suppose, you know, to some extent, some of it was kit, but it obviously was a very different sort of kit now. But actually a lot of it was just what you wore on a Sunday when you went out for a walk. And that was probably, you know, three-piece suit almost, you know, or like definitely, you know, sort of pair of woolen trousers and some and some sort of hobnail boots. And you just go up into the into the mountains or into the hills. And um, yeah, it's amazing to see. And these sort of women with sort of crinolines and things like that sort of thing, like striding up Kinder Scout and things like that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it'd be good to really showcase some of those, I think, at some point. Yeah, that definitely. would be good. So you've got, you've got this good, long history of the Ramblers, whose name I strongly like and, <laughs> good, uh, good, good. and then in britain we have this huge network of footpaths and i know every country in the world has footpaths galore because people have been walking forever but i think britain to me i think correct me if i'm wrong is quite unique in having such a formalized structure of footpaths that are on these wonderful ordnance survey maps which are also a pr- pretty rare compared to most countries but we came in contact with each other because a lot of these paths are at risk of being lost so can you tell me about uh, about your mission here yeah definitely so yeah as you say we've got an amazing network of footpaths and of and not just of footpaths of bridleways of restricted byways so you can get on your horse and cart if you like um you know but they are everywhere across england and wales and i think that is the unique thing is that you know in a lot of countries you have amazing hiking trails or you know long distance trails or even regional trails or just a nice circular walk that's on a map but actually in england and wales what we have is we have these paths that are in every community pretty much in towns and cities and in the open countryside and we've got one hundred forty thousand miles of them and nearly all of them were created by where people wanted to go you know back home 200 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever, um, they were created by people going, I need to go from where I live to market or to the field or to the pub or to church. Um, but we know that there are, and they're all recorded on on sort of legal maps, so it's called the definitive map, and that, that gets then shown on the OS map. But we know there are thousands of those that are missing from those maps. And these are thousands of paths, many of which, as I say, go back hundreds of years. And um, they're just not recorded as as rights of way. And if they're not recorded by the 1st of January 2026, then they won't be able to be recorded in future. So we're really keen at the Ramblers with Don't Use Your Way that we find where they are and we've done, we've done a good part of that already. But then we actually then connect with people to make the case that these were public rights of way and therefore they should be recorded as such. Oh, it'd be, yeah, it's, it'd be a tragedy to lose these. So can you just clarify why it's England and Wales and not Scotland and Northern Ireland? Yeah, so um, I have to admit my knowledge of the of, of Northern Ireland rights away is, is relatively limited, but in terms of Scotland... Uh, that's why I asked you, because I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Ram- <laughs> the Ramblers covers GB, so we don't cover Northern Ireland, so uh, uh, okay. I, I'm, pretty, okay. I'm pretty out of the loop on that. But um, in terms of Scotland, um, it's because they have a completely different or a significantly different legal situation with um, with walking and rights of way. They've got, you know, in some ways, I suppose it depends where you come at it, but they have, you know, they've got the sort of right to roam. So you can, 
you know, in theory, walk anywhere pretty much in open countryside. Um, and they have rights of way, but they don't have to be legally recorded in the same way as England and Wales. So because you don't have that legal record, you don't have the definitive map, there's nothing to add to it. There's nothing missing from it. And that's why it doesn't cover Scotland. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, uh, lawyer Jack. That's <laughs> sorry. Hopefully, yeah. that's the most. Bo- hopefully, that's the most boring answer of the interview. Um, I hope so, so, yeah. One, one, <laughs> thing, one thing you said that I like is um, the, the, there's a the lot of the long distance trails, aren't they? Which are brilliant. The Pennine Way, or in America, the Pacific Crest Trail, or the Appalachian Trail, or the mm. Camino de Santiago. And these are great things that people think I'm going to go walk from A to B on a long, beautiful mission in life. Yeah. But then there's also what you're talking about here is this huge network of hundreds of thousands of miles of footpaths just to get from here to take your kids to the school or or um your afternoon exercise with your yeah. dog um i i chatted recently with dan raven ellison who's doing the slow ways network mm. i presume have your paths crossed yes yeah i volunteered on that and um yeah supporting it definitely yeah yeah yeah, yeah, that's his his brilliant. So it's quite an overlinking mission, isn't it, to try mm. and find ways to get from A to B. But back back to the "Don't lose your lose your way" campaign. Um, what are you doing about these missing paths? Yeah, uh, so um, what we're doing is we so back in um, sort of February March time, we basically split the whole of England and Wales up into one hundred and fifty four thousand squares. Um, and we got people to look at a square of the country, you know, where they live or or anywhere in the country. And we wanted them to look at look at the current OS map and then look at a an OS map from about 120 years ago and an, another map called the Bartholomew map um, from about the same time and basically do a big spot the difference. So um, we're crunching through that data at the moment. We think we probably got between 20 and 30,000 miles of missing rights of way. So it's a big chunk. Um, and then what we want to do from there is get the public involved in saying, oh, there's a path near me or there's a path where I grew up or, um, you know, a place that I love. Um, I want to help out by then doing the research on that path to actually then prove that it's a, a public right of way. So it can be recorded and then I can go and enjoy it or, you know, my future generations can go and enjoy it. So, um, yeah, that, that's what we really want to get people involved with. When you when you launched that, you, it was really successful, and you quickly blitzed the lot. So, what what stage are you at now? What what do, what can people do to help from now? Yeah, so so at the moment we're verifying the data. So you know, basically, what we're asking people to do at the moment is is sort of sign up to keep up to date with the program. We are in a little bit of a of a. Um, I suppose in terms of public facing stuff, it's we're doing a bit of backstage work at the moment, but we'd love people to go to our website, um, go to um, uh, the Ramblers website, sign up. There'd be loads more coming because we just need to make, a, you know, this needs to be a movement of people that want to preserve and protect, you know, their rights. You know, these are people's rights that have been built up over centuries. And so we want that movement of people to come together to help us make sure they're there for centuries to come. I really enjoyed doing, I did uh, my little corner of squares and I really enjoyed that it was the, the website, so a sliding feature yeah. from new map slides onto old map. And I've, I love seeing that comparison from what was a path and is now a Sainsbury's or something. And, and, but also how, 
what was it what was a wood is still a wood and then makes me then appreciate that wood more but there's a mm. i'm sure you'll probably know this but there's there's some website where you can see all sorts of different ordnance survey maps you can see like the modern one or google maps or ancient ones do you know do you, do you know off the top of your head what i'm talking about yeah so that's this, i love this i love this Sorry. Right, and you you can go wherever you want, and then check the, this grid square from different times. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So the National Library of Scotland um, has loads of basically all of the out of print OS maps, and they're all geo referenced. So as you say, you can go anywhere in the country, and you can just put all these layers on top and, and look at them. Um, there's also a couple of if you're interested in that, um, there's a couple of similar websites that have even have sort of even more maps but for specific areas so there's a, an amazing project down in the southwest called know your place which has these um all these maps layered over and there's another one in london called layers of london and um some of the maps on there are really fascinating because there's there's a map called the goad insurance map which sounds really boring but essentially <laughs> i mean it sounds like you can't get more boring than that but essentially it um they're so much they're sort of in cities and towns they're really more detailed than the os map so they show exactly what every building was used for every little alleyway and lamppost and all of that sort of stuff so yeah you go to those websites as well because it's um yeah it's really amazing just to to throw all these historic layers onto onto your current map yeah and from and from my point of view i love doing those things for trying to hatch ideas of little adventures thinking oh i wonder if i could walk from there to there um, and my, my mission in life is always just find an excuse to go from there to there because interesting stuff happens along the way. But if you can find that some Roman legionnaire walked that 2,000 years ago, it adds a little extra layer to it, isn't it? Um, exactly. There's also, I, I see, we can go down a rabbit hole of uh, geeky websites now, which, <laughs> which would please me, but may, mean I'll have zero podcast listeners. But there's one web, I, a website where you can... It, it removes everything except just leaving the roads on there, which makes these beautiful like spider web uh, okay, diagrams yeah, yeah. of, of yeah, your hometown. That, yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that's, I'll, I'll put the link in the notes if anyone is still actually listening, but yeah. um, I find trying to find these different maps to look at things in different ways. Very interesting. Mm. I, what I really want is an ordnance survey map of London but before the city was there. So just when it was rivers and trees and forests and little hills, mm. a full-on Ordnance Survey map, 1 to 25,000 scale with no buildings. So that, that's been my long uh, request of, from Ordnance Survey. That'd be Survey. amazing. And maybe there'll mm. be a couple of... Uh... A couple of paths on there and stuff like that as well that, that maybe you know that we use then and they might still follow the street pattern now and things like that sort of thing you know there's because oh. because that's the other thing is when you say um you know there might be a sainsbury's where that path is but actually sometimes you look you're like oh there's a footpath there oh actually that now follows the exact pattern of the current street and actually you're walking along the pavement where there used to be a footpath there 120 years ago so yeah that sort of continuity um, and the difference between between centuries is amazing i think oh gosh yeah it's fast really fascinating um okay i'm gonna i'm gonna move away from the ramblers campaign now is there is there anything anything else that you need to tell me that i haven't asked you about in terms of the ramblers no i think okay. i've probably done my my big sell job but um, you know, <laughs> exactly but essentially okay. yeah we, we do want everyone to get involved so please do you know sign up and um you know and 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 get involved with it really okay well done <laughs> right uh, Jack, what has been your on a personal level what's been your biggest adventure 
I suppose um, probably, uh, so back in 2017, so three years ago now, I walked from Land's End to John O'Groats. So I suppose sort of giving up my, my day job and doing that um, before I worked for the Ramblers. Um, so before I was actually in the walking world as a job, um, just, uh, yeah, doing that was was probably my biggest adventure. Um, and, and, you know, like that everyday exploring and that everyday um plotting where i was going to walk i didn't really plan it in particularly uh, massive minute detail or even go the the normal route that people go you know there's there's quite standard routes for going land's end to groats most of which include national trails but i use that local path network much more than that and um so yeah that's probably i think that's probably my biggest adventure today anyway hopefully more to come <laughs> So why did you decide to walk through a country you already knew well rather than walking across Madagascar or walking from your front door to Rome or something? <laughs> well, I mean, I think I'd probably, I would probably say that I didn't know the country very well. Um, you know, I'm probably to some degree a quite um, stereotypical and infuriating southeast londoner in terms of um not knowing my country that well at all you know like and being quite sort of london focused you know i sort of bought, born and grew up in southeast london i went to uni for three years but then came straight back to london so actually um you know except for some trips out um and you know seeing friends and stuff i didn't really know the country that well so that was part of it um you know so actually to to, to to sort of find out what everyone else knew about that was out there. Um, and actually, before I did the, the big walk, um, I hadn't really done many multi-day treks or anything. I hadn't walked the Pennine Way before. I hadn't, you know, this was, so the whole thing was new to me. So it wasn't like, oh, I've already been there on a week's walking holiday. It was all, you know, it was all places to be discovered that everyone else knows about, or at least the locals know about, but for me were completely, completely new. So what surprised you about that whole experience? What surprised me? Um, I think, I mean, I think I, I was surprised about um, how, I mean, because I was a bit worried before I went out that I would be, you know, I was doing it on my own and that I, that would be, you know, there's sort of a, like a physical toll of walking every day, but in terms of a mental toll of walking every day. But actually I was surprised about how, different every day was you know even if you're walking um you know if you're walking through the peak district i mean obviously the peak district's amazing or the lake district or wherever um you might think well one day is going to be relatively the same as the other because you're still in the peak district but actually the way the landscape or the sort of little cultural things changed around you as you go you know oh they're using this type of stone wall now they're you know oh these this place has got loads more pubs than the last place you know every single thing sort of was changing all the time and it's quite easy i think especially when you're on a train to look at the english countryside and to think except for some particularly spectacular bits it is you know similar to each other but actually the differences and and the fact that there is always something new and surprising to see every day was almost the most surprising part about it i think <laughs> yeah i think i think that's a something that would be very different to say walking across America, for example, where you probably have to go a hundred meters before the dry stone wall, sorry, a hundred miles before the dry stone walls change. Whereas in Britain, it really is squashed together, isn't it? So what, exactly. what part of the walk that wouldn't typically feature on the 10 most beautiful places in Britain, 
what apart from all those places where did you really enjoy on the walk yeah i think yeah exactly as part of the ones that aren't in that list i would say um it's the solway coast um so uh, which is um above the lake district uh go on the way up to carlisle sort of thing um because you you've got this sort of quite flat coastal land but it's it's really beautiful but and then you sort of when you're walking along it behind you you've got you can see all of the peaks of the lake district but you're not in the lake district and then across the water i think you can see dumfries and galloway or argyle argyle my my scottish geography is even worse than my english geography um and you could see the mountains there and it's just it felt sort of it almost and obviously this is a probably quite a self-centered arrogant thing to say but it felt that like it was like I was discovering it for the first time in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like no one knows about this, but obviously people do. There's holiday homes there. There's, you know, caravan parks, you know, but it was, I think that, that really surprised me and, and really was um, a place that I'd recommend that people, people go to that they probably wouldn't normally be on the, on the itinerary. And, you know, I, I for instance, it'd be a great place to tack on before doing Hadrian's walk because you could walk along the Solway coast and then go all the way up and then go along Hadrian's Wall and all the way to Newcastle sort of thing. So, yeah, mm. a big fan. I think that that feeling of being surprised and feeling as though you are an explorer yeah. simply because you because you have never been there before is is one of the most wonderful things about all, all forms of travel, really, um, which leads me on to then in terms of exploring places you've never seen before, which actually might just be on your doorstep, is you're, you have a bigger mission even than walking Land's End to John O'Groats, which is um, roughly a thousand miles-ish. You're trying to walk every single street in London, which is going to be many, many thousands of miles. Yeah. So how, how did the long linear journey of walking the length of Britain how's that comparing to walking London streets yeah it's it is um obviously it's different I think uh the I think there are similarities though as you say that surprise that exploration is is similar it's you know because you know when I first started there were streets three streets along from me that I've never walked down because why would you it's not on the way to the shops it's not on the way to the station it's not on the way to a park um (laughs) And, you know, there's someone's done something really weird or interesting in their front garden, or there's a sort of randomly, there's a 1930s, um, you know, there's a lot of 1930s sort of uh, terrace housing around here, but randomly there's a sort of modernist one that sort of is in the middle of nowhere for no reason. Um, so that that's the similarities. I think the difference is, I mean, there's a very practical thing in terms of, you know, with the London streets, I'm chipping away. I might go out for a day, get on the tube not not so much at the moment but get on the tube and then just walk around a whole new area to me um or i might if i'm going to meet some friends in a pub um go five minutes ten minutes early and walk around the block or you know cut off a couple of side streets that way um so there isn't that sort of concentration of exploration and actually i'd love one day to you know take a year off work and do 15 miles a day or something like that you know and just walk in london sort of thing i think that would be um that would you know i think you'd still have their exploration thing but it would be that sort of concentrated time and that focus i think would be would be amazing that would change the feeling a lot wouldn't it from just mm. a to into being a sort of mission rather than well, one one's i read a sentence you wrote which i really liked which is walking the city becomes part of living 
in the city. So does it just feel just a, a, a routine in your life? Like some people might go to the gym and go on the rowing machine. You just, it's just a, a routine in your life. Yeah, definitely. And like, I don't think, I think, um, you know, the word routine has, I suppose, some negative connotations with it in terms of, you know, like that becoming a, a boring thing or a um, something that, you know, it's sort of, you don't want to do necessarily because it's just part of your everyday life. We don't even think about, but it does become part of the routine. And I think in a good way, because you, you know, I don't drive. So um, I get on public transport or I walk and the walking the city, you actually are not just central London, you know, not just walking from Covent Garden to Whitehall or whatever, but you actually, you see how all the bones of the city connect and how one, and again, in the same way we were talking about walking and seeing differences in dry stone walls, you start to see how, oh, you know, suddenly the language above the shop is changing from Tamil to Gujarati to Polish or whatever, you know, and you see how all the city connects together, I think. Um, and, and, but, but that's part of the routine. As I say, you know, the routine is, isn't just, let's go out on a Saturday and explore. It's, um, you know, I'm walking from where I am now. I'm seeing my um, my brother and and his family who live, you know, 45 minutes walk away. Well, I'll go a slightly different way to get there, and and, and so it's that it's that sort of building into the routine as well. The the annoying side of my personality, or one of the annoying sides of my personality, was would be that if I decide to walk every street in London, it would just become a mission. And I'd be trying to calculate strategies and I'd get really obsessed if I missed out a little cul-de-sac. Um, how, how do you, what sort of level of planning and obsessiveness <laughs> do you apply to it? I think, I think I probably share some of that, but I think I haven't got the competence to follow it through, which is um, in terms of actually, <laughs> in terms of actually planning well enough. Um, you know, I do, um, because sort of you know because for instance um in terms of how i'm recording it um i i've got a an a to z that i'm coloring in um and i've got a a google map that i draw it on and now i'm sure there's especially on the digital side there's better ways to record it um uh in terms of the the, the journey but so for instance when i've got the the a to z i'll be i'm really keen that i um I want to go in as many of those squares as possible. You know, you've got 35 squares on an A to Z page. So I often do plan routes looking on Strava or whatever and say, well, if I go up this way, I can cut off three squares and then do that. And then, you know, so especially when I'm going to a new area. Um, so there is a sort of level of obsession, I think, and of planning that comes from, I mean, I suppose you don't have a, you don't have a, a Google map that's got like over 9,000 lines on it or a, a, an A to Z that's colored in if you haven't got some level of obsession about it um, and admission <laughs> about it. Um, yeah. So, so well, speaking of that. Because okay. there, there are several people doing similar sorts of things in different places, but are there, in terms asking in terms of obsessiveness and train spotting qualities to this, do you know of any women who are walking any street of their city? <laughs> that is a good question. And well, they got I, better things to do. Well, no, so 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 actually, I've recently been, and and I'll be sort of putting out on Twitter at some point this month. I think I, I've I've created a again. It's sort of again my slightly bodge way of doing it, but um, I'm doing a map of um, I don't know what exactly what to call it, but walking every street in the world, and essentially it's a big Google map of 
examples of other people who have done or are doing similar things. And 80%, I think, probably are men. But still, there's some, you know, it's not completely. And and um, I know one of the pe- people who, is, who have um, done a sort of similar but sort of slightly smaller project in London, which is Walking Every Street in Central London, and has actually completed it, um, I can't, I've forgotten her name, but she, you know, she's, she's done it. Um, and there's people who have done, you know, similar in, in different parts of the world. Um, but there, there is, I think, probably a bit of a preponderance of, uh, of, of, of white men who are doing it. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be interesting for you to chat to that lady who did it. And I know recently a bloke did it by bicycle, all of London mm, streets yeah. to chat to them and say, Oh, do you make, have you seen that little terrace at number 74 and, and <laughs> yeah, just exactly. see what, and I suppose also a taxi driver with the knowledge who is an expert yeah. on it all to just just get the similarities, but the also the the differences of of your experiences. Definitely, and, and maybe ask them how they feel when they were because you get, I mean, like around like somewhere like Victoria, you get all of these muses, and they're often on the other side of the muse is a restaurant or something. So you often have people hanging out the back of the restaurant door, you know, the staff there and stuff. And you get these quite long muses. And I, I'd be interested to find out how people felt, because I often find myself just walking down to the end of a cul-de-sac and walking back again with sort of three people having a fag out the back of the door looking at me sort of thing. I'd be interested to know how they, uh, how they, how they sort of felt about that situation. Yeah. So off the top of my head, I know of there's a guy who's been doing he walks across America and then he's walking every street in New York called, and his website's I'm just walking without the G at the end, which is, I really enjoy his stuff. Mm. And then Ricky, Ricky Gates, the endurance runner, he ran every street in San Francisco and I've mm. really enjoyed his yeah. story. Are there any, any people, you know, who've done this, done it somewhere and, and, are, but importantly are telling a good story about it. Yeah. I think the storytelling is interesting because, um, I suppose that that goes to the heart of what the motivation is why someone does it. Um, I mean, in this in this research for this this sort of big map of where everyone has been doing it, it's it's really interesting to delve into why people have done it. I suppose, and some of it are quite they're quite small communities. They're just like their little town in the middle of well, it's probably, probably a bit dismissive saying middle of nowhere, but you know, in rural Oklahoma or something like that sort of thing. And they walked every street of their town. And that was just about reconnecting with somewhere really local and quite small. Um, there was a guy in uh, who walked all of the suburbs of Sydney and all of the streets of Sydney. Um, and he became quite famous, I think, in Australia back in, I think he's, because he did it in his 80s as well. Um, and so there's some interesting sort of news articles around him. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure in terms of the documenting that sort of, again, it says, Hey, it comes back to why you're doing it. Are you doing it in the way? Cause for me, almost the documenting it. And even though I don't document it sort of as systematically as the guy in New York who has a blog, who posts like two photos or three photos from every day, um, you know, for me, it is important, the documenting, but it's almost the documenting I'm doing is sitting in my house and then posting some photos on twitter sort of thing so so yeah i'd have to think about in terms of people who have okay. really delved into the documenting well if any, if any pop up send them over i'll stick them in the notes yeah definitely. Um, i like i mean i love the the urban side of it like i mean, we could talk for hours about the the restaurants along the way but <laughs> in terms of, let's stick to the the green sides of london as well because mm. uh you you took there's the Thames path, the green chain walk, the Capital Ring, the Line Sculpture Way, the Waterlink Way. It's all these fantastic 
ad- local adventures. I'd, I've not even heard of half of those. So mm. what, do, what have you learned about London as a green city? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's can be often, maybe not by the people who live here, although some of them may be, but it, it can be underappreciated about how green London is. I think um, London's 47% green or blue. Um, which which does include the Thames, which is obviously you know quite big, but um, you know so that's I mean that and that is exceptional, for, especially for a, a capital city and a, and a big sort of European city. Um, and you know, the, the, for me, the the great thing about London in terms of in terms of its green space um, is uh, the greenery everywhere. You know, it's it's not like I mean we've got big fancy parks, I suppose. You know, we've got um, High Park and Regent's Park, or if you go out to Hampstead Heath, I mean Hampstead Heath is quite wild, but or Crystal Palace or something like that. You've got these big, um, these big Victorian set-out parks, but you've also got these green spaces everywhere, and quite a few of those are also Victorian parks. But they're little local Victorian parks, or they're they're, they're wildlife reserves, or they're um, or they're sort of more linear green trails, like the one that you talked about there, the Waterlink Way is is one that's literally I can almost see it from my from the from the room I'm in now that um it follows a river through through Lewisham and it's it essentially links up loads of parks, but it's it's a green sort of finger that goes all the way through the borough. And I think that's that mixture of the of the big parks and then you get down that sort of inc- decreasing size and then the the green connections between them, I think is what makes walking in terms of a green leisure experience in london amazing what what is london doing if anything to tell people about these so there isn't just a bunch of middle class white men wandering around the waterlink way it had to get a more diverse audience enjoying the green spaces of london that is a good question <laughs> that is a good question i think it is something that um a lot of people want to do whether anyone's cracked it um i know that there's a, a recent um project that i i need to sort of delve properly into i think it was literally released this week um by london living streets which is um uh essentially the whole of central london connected by walking by walkways but it's you know it's it's a map online and i think they're going to do some physical copies of it now whether you need to actually to actually make that a reality I, I mean i'm not criticizing that anyway at all it's amazing but do you need stuff that's actually you know on the street do you need signs that that point you where to go i mean do you need like almost you know could you imagine having like a green link on like drawn on the pavement that w- that took you from one place to the other um i don't know so i think it's i do think it's a really important thing because as you say like um you know, London is an amazingly diverse city, not in terms of green space, but in terms of its residents. And those two things need to link up, I think, for it to be sort of legit almost in the long run, for that to be a, a you know, a proper thing. I think those things, those things do need to link up. And I think what I would say is there's probably much better people to talk to about that who have much more lived experience of 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 of, of you know of making sure that instead spaces are more diverse not to just <laughs> ignore the question completely but you know, okay you move from jack the lawyer jack the lawyer to jack the politician so i'll, exactly. I'll let you off activist <laughs> okay so you did a twitter thread uh, recently which i very much enjoyed but i cut I, although i have to say i couldn't quite decide if it was wonderful or full-on alan partridge so okay. uh, <laughs> okay, for I'm example to know why. <laughs> so you so you did a walk 
Can you tell me where you walked, and then I'll tell you what my Alan Partridge theory. Okay. Just the, yeah, the yeah, outline yeah. of the walk. I'll, I'll get ready for that. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was basically um, it was a walk that is a circular walk that started relatively near my house um, and went. So that's in 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 Lewisham in southeast London, and it it was just a circular walk that went through some of the neighbourhoods of Lewisham. Um, so how many miles about? about? Uh, it was only, I think it's 12 miles, sort of thing. I mean, only, I don't know if that's okay. a... So, so 12, mile, 12, <laughs> 12 mile loop through a fairly average bit of southeast London. Uh, yeah. Probably doesn't get on many tourist global highlights lists. Mm-hmm. But it struck me, reading this thread, which is the things you'd seen and the places you went and some of the histories of it, that... In the positive side of it is that okay. it was like traveling around the entire world. It was, you know, in a way, you could write an entire travel book around just what you saw on there. You know, it's no, it's really like a, taking a train trip to India and writing about Hagia Sophia and then Iran. Mm. It was really felt to me like, why do you need to travel the world when you can walk around Lewisham? But yeah, for example, I enjoyed things like. Uh, you put about glimpses of Elliot Lodge, once the home of a successful manufacturer of iron fire escapes. And then yeah. <laughs> um, home, home Park in Lower Sid- Sydenham, named after Home Park Lodge, which was demolished as the area became less desirable due to the expansion of the Bell Green Gasworks. Excellent gaswork photos in this Flickr album. And then <laughs> yeah. you link to some excellent gaswork photos, <laughs> which... Yeah. It made me Is chuckle, that the other partridge I, bit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because in, in some senses a successful manufacturer of iron fire escapes. Man, how boring is that? But on the other yeah. hand, it's like, wow, this is a lived history in a lived city. And I absolutely loved it. I was diving into <laughs> Flickr albums of Gasworks galore. So what, how do you go about, you walk down a street, how do you go about figuring out the, the history and the, the stories behind what is now just a normal street? Yeah, So so for me, like I hadn't, particularly intended to set out i would do a walk that will then be a twitter thread about the history of the area um i mean i bet basically that day i was walk as i sort of mentioned before i was walking over to see my brother and his family and then i needed to pick up some stuff from other shops and you know and that sort of thing and um for me it was basically it started with um i see a building or i see something in the streetscape and I'm like, I don't know what that is. Like, so Elliot Lodge, for instance, it's in the area of Sydenham, there's quite a lot of these big grand houses that, cause it's quite, it's really close to Crystal Palace. So when the Crystal Palace was moved from Hyde Park to a, what, an, what was an area of common land at the time and became Crystal Palace, all of these Victorians put up these massive, slightly ostentatious um, country mansions so they could be near Crystal Palace and the sort of the, the cachet that went with that. And But I'd see, never noticed this one before. And it's sort of hidden behind these trees and it's got a really nice painted Elliot Lodge sign on the on the thing. And so it just started with that, really. And then I was like, I don't know about that. So I, you know, the, the amazing thing is that we've you know, you can just Google stuff and you'll, and you know, it might be on page four of Google, but you'll find a little snippet about, about a particular building or place. And then it just all sort of went from there, really. So are you Googling while you're walking or is this later on? It's afterwards. So it's like, take a photo of something that's interesting. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll look later. I think sometimes that does have its downside is that you Google something and then you're like, oh, there was something also really great just around the corner. And you only realize after you Googled it before. I mean, I suppose the good thing is that um, unlike, you know, 
an epic train journey to India or something, I can just go back next week and look at that sort <laughs> yeah. of thing. You know, that's the other thing about the ex- exploration of the local is that it's not like you're doing a one and done. You're always building up that sort of individual knowledge about that, about your area or about London, for instance. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to walk 2,020 miles for 2020. <laughs> Are you yeah. on track? I suspect I'm not. I'm. I've uh, basically I have not been very good since lockdown at, um, at actually uh, seeing where I am with it. Um, I think because I think I would have to be doing about five and a bit miles a day, um, and obviously during lockdown I was not often doing that although i probably could have been um so i might need to be i might need to pick that up and uh, and see what i do i did 29 i did 20 i did 2019 miles in 2019 so um i'll hopefully be able to pick it up and, and get the 2020 done but we'll see, we'll uh, see. Well, fantastic yeah gosh i mean that's a again it's small little steps that adds up to quite a cumulative chunky distance isn't it and that's like lands to john Groats and back yeah, exactly. Um, every year. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and yeah. again, I suppose that's what came back to what I was saying earlier. That's about building, um, walking into the routine and in the, in the same way that a lot of cyclists do, I think, as well. You know, they, when you start cycling to work, if you added up the amount of distance you cycled, you could probably in a year cycle across a continent, you know, um, and that's just cycling to and from work and maybe some trips out of the weekend. Um, well, what, I, I do that with yeah. walking. Yeah. And what you're doing is a great way of being able to fit exploring around the realities of life and a job mm. um you know rather than quitting your job and doing a 2000 mile expedition you do it around daily life but you have you have you dallied with the idea of wanting to explore an adventure and document as a career but it's daunting you say what <laughs> was daunting. daunting what's daunting about making a career out of uh, so. twitter threads yeah, I know. I don't know. To me, I, I to me, what's daunting is sitting in an office. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe that's. Uh, maybe it's just I need to re sort of uh, look at it from a different perspective. I suppose it's just because it's so. You know, in some ways, it, and maybe until the land entry on a great bit, I sort of the typical sort of middle class route of you know, going to university, getting an office job, getting a series of office jobs, moving job every couple of years, you know. Um, it's just a complete break from that, isn't it? And it's something that is unknown amongst, um, amongst you know, my circle of friends or my family or that sort of thing. And I suppose that's the great thing about podcasts like this and about, you know, some of the books you've written is, is to actually start to think about almost sort of you can see the possible, can't you? You can see the the idea that you know it is you're able to to actually do that and go out and and do that. And I'm in a very lucky position that I could, you know, I can probably I could probably can do that. I just need to uh, you know lace on the boots and and see where I can go from it. I don't know. The the flip side, of course, of making what you're doing turning it from just being your pastime into your job is that I find it extremely difficult to just say go for a walk without thinking <laughs> oh i must generate some content out of this because otherwise i'm just being a lazy bum and um <laughs> there's a there's a significant danger of sucking out the magic and when you turn your hobby into a job yeah i could definitely see that i could definitely imagine that um yeah i suppose also i i, I think 
it doesn't necessarily need to be binary, I suppose. Um, you know, like probably again, you know, if, if you're in a, 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 a good situation, the, the, the way that people have careers are changing, that you can maybe have a job in an office two days a week and go out adventuring three days a week. You know, you can, you can, you can switch and change yeah. or go and do something for a year or two and then go back and, you know, so I don't know, maybe that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the binary choice is what well, I think it's almost always a very foolish way of looking at things unless you happen to have a secret trust fund tucked away. I think sure, mm. the best way really to do things is you do what you do at the weekend, but start to put a bit more time and concentrated thought into focusing on what you're trying to do and grow some sort of audience. And if that audience grows, you go, you go down to four days a week and then we get paid a bit and then little by little but yeah they, I, I wouldn't suggest ditching your office job to go wander around uh, Lewisham um, exactly. Without, exactly unless you've robbed a bank first <laughs> yeah and then also you know without you know I have the same challenges that everyone has in an office job and I do you know normally sit in an office but I am also lucky that I have a job that you know even if most of my job is writing emails and doing spreadsheets that is involved in walking you know the, you know in that in that sort of wider sense so that is you know that is a lucky thing to have as well so yeah. i can't complain and also you're doing something genuinely important in your office job rather than just faffing around doing twitter threads so that you're doing <laughs> you, you, you have a genuine purpose to your work as well don't you yeah, I mean, I would regard both of those as important, Alistair, but, you know, okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to change tack now and go exploring myself, go off into the unknown and the uncomfortable zones of things that I know nothing at all about and uh, ask you about your art. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, sure. You're an, an artist. Um your website has very various different mediums you work in. So some some this is when I'm going to get really ignorant. You have some paintings. You got some drawings. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you also you got some wall constructions and a word yes. I'd never heard before: maquetry, which is M A Q U E T R Y. Um, what for? If there's anyone as ignorant as me listening, what's a wall construction or maquetry? Okay, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I, this is the thing, like, this is uh, somebody that I should be much better at talking about. We'll see how it goes. Um, in terms of wall construction, so they're basically, the way I like to see them anyway, they're sculptures that hang, that that, that, that sit on the plane of a wall, if you know what I mean. So so it's um, it's it's sort of, to some extent, bridging the, the gap between a, a, um, a 2D painting or something like that and a 3D sculpture that will sit in the middle of a room on a, on a plinth. So, so they're essentially building out from from that sort of from that wall from there um and the stuff i do is lots of abstract geometrical colorful that stuff that side of things especially on in recent in recent years um the marketry is uh marketry yeah sorry uh, is um i mean you'll see you would have seen it um in terms of on decorative furniture and stuff where it's just um thin layers of wood that are applied to make a pattern, I suppose. Um, so, uh, like some you know, tile tile work ish of wood. Yeah, of like, wood. yeah, yeah. So the ones I've done are quite sort of basic blocks of of, of veneers of wood, basically thin slivers of wood that that build up. Um, but you know, if you look at a, I don't know, eighteenth century cabinet, they make you know lovely little scrolls out of them and um, flowers and things like that, sort of thing that are much more, you know, I suppose 
obviously decorative yeah so um and i don't have i mean the, the stuff that i've done in terms of the marketry stuff is i don't have i'm not a craftsman in it i'm doing it you know not from a perspective of someone who's you know studied at the bench of an expert who you know I, i'm just doing it myself really but um yeah mm. yeah so at the, at the risk of greatly insulting your art, uh, I really liked your, the, wall, the wall constructions you've done. I really like. Mm. And to, to my layman's mind, they look like bits of wood, sticks, um, colourful, sort of stuck together into a sort of 2D-ish kind of shape you'd hang up on your wall. <laughs> you don't want me doing the copywriting for your art selling <laughs> website. Um, they're very, they're very colourful and intriguing. But what struck me about them when I saw them was that they're about, they're about shapes and they're about patterns and they're about yeah. how things fit together. And what they really reminded me of were maps. Maps, yeah. yeah. Maps and streets and patterns. Is there, is, there, is there any connection in that? I think there is. I think it's and, – and sort of how much of a connection varies or how conscious or subconscious, I suppose, that connection is does vary over time. Um, you know, like uh, I think – I can't help but be, you know, it's a sort of slightly sort of passe word, but like, you know, be inspired by the fact that, you know, I do spend a lot of my day looking at maps. I, you know, when I go out for a walk, I look at maps. When I come back, I colour in one, you know, I for my job, I look at maps. And so, I, you know, inspired by that sort of that pattern making that comes from maps into into the, the stuff that I do. Um, and in the same way, when I'm out for a walk, I might see some sort of, a weird color that i'm not sure i haven't you know that's sitting up against another color and that also inspires you know how how things come together so i think yeah it, it, as i say depending on the piece and depending on my mood it's sort of that whether it's conscious or not it does vary but um but yeah yeah definitely is there i i love art but i think this is interesting into one thing i've been talking to a lot of people about recently is how some people feel uncomfortable in the world of adventure they feel like they don't belong they feel like they're mm. it's not really right for them and i suppose perhaps me talking to you about art now is my equivalent of that because whenever i'm say on a bike trip or walk or anywhere if i see a little gallery i always go into it when i go to do a talk in a town i always try and go into the gallery and have a wander around um yeah i stayed in a hotel right by the lowry gallery in uh, manchester last year mm. for a talk and I, I loved it but i can't really say anything beyond i like that or i don't like that so um i don't know how but, to talk about art but I don't, I don't think that's a problem i mean like you know uh, you, you go out for a walk you know to bring it back to something we've been talking about you know you go out for a walk an adventurer an adventure you don't necessarily need to know what every single wildflower is or or you know like what the type of grass is being used over you know you can appreciate it without knowing every single intricate detail of it or or the history or you know what i mean yeah so i think it you know it can be fun to delve into more but it's not i don't think it's by no means necessary so what, what's a good question i should ask you to begin unpicking what you're thinking about with your art oh god see this is the thing i i, I do with the art I, I love making it and I, I can't imagine not making it i i Compared to some people, I'm really bad at talking about it. <laughs> I don't mean to, you know, I think probably, I don't You're know. You're bad in that you find it awkward or you just, you, you find it hard to articulate? A bit of both, probably. A bit of both. Like, and not that I'm saying, you know, I don't mind talking about it now, but you know what I mean? In terms of, um, 
you know, especially with the stuff I do, I think it's because for me, I could really clearly see what I'm trying to make in my head. And it's all about color and form and textures sitting next to each other. And for me, that makes sense. But because it's abstract, it's not like I, you know, it's almost like I'm not making in a lot of cases, a conscious decision about what to do with something. I'm just sort of almost trying to replicate what's on my head in the real world. So, so some of the theory goes out the window to some extent, although I'm sure there'd be art writers who would disagree with that and have spent many hours writing books about abstract art that, you know, includes a lot of theory <laughs> Well, they do, they have, but yeah. So uh, do, can you recommend a book about art? Can I recommend a book about art? Um, Artists. Yeah. What should I recommend? Um, I would look at, uh, that is a good question. Um, I might have to come back to that. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah. I have a thing. I was looking around on your, uh, your Instagram page and it seems to be a nice combination of London runs, nice landscapes, paintbrushes and cocktails. So yeah. what's your favourite cocktail? Now, I, that I can answer. I would say <laughs> it is. <laughs> it would probably be a dirty martini, I would say. Um, a, like a nice what beer. is a dirty martini? Yeah, it's... Oh, probably, I'm probably going to get it wrong now. I'm probably going to have a... a I'm going to get some cocktail purists saying that I've, I've, been, I've been making the martini wrong the whole time. But um, uh, it's gin, vermouth, a little dash of vermouth. And then the dirtiness comes from you put a couple of olives in it and you put a bit of the olive brine. So it's quite a um, it's quite a savoury, a savoury cocktail, I suppose, because you get that sort of salty umami that comes from the from the um, uh, yeah, from the olives. So uh, I think that's probably my favourite. Yeah. What's quite it's quite, quite a punch. <laughs> What's my favourite? I like a Plymouth gin um, or a London gin. Like something it's got a bit of strength to it i think i don't you know you, i think you you want to taste the gin i think you want a bit of kick kick to it <laughs> and it's gonna hit you around the face it's a good, good 10 a.m conversation we're having here. Do you, <laughs> exactly do you, yeah. enjoy, do you enjoy is it just purely the taste the drinking of the cocktails you enjoy or do you enjoy the the routine or not the routine the um the process of the making definitely definitely both i think um it's I suppose I don't know if it'd be too go too far to say the theatre of making it, but yeah, the process of making it in terms of uh, yeah, I think I definitely enjoy that. And even when I'm just you know pouring one for myself, it's not like I'm sort of you know walking into a room with ten people standing around clapping as I come in with a tray to make cocktails or anything. Just just doing it that that process I think is there's a satisfaction in itself, and there's a satisfaction of having the right kit i suppose for it you know and, and, and that sort of thing or the nice kit or the nice glass the the heavy bottom glass for a you know for a heavy bottom drink you know that sort of thing i think it does um yeah i'm sure and i'm sure you must experience that for, from some of the things you do as well you know it's there is a satisfaction that comes from that yeah I, I suspect coffee coffee snobs are the same but i oh gosh i'm so uncouth i i mean i'm a long way from choosing anything in life other than a a pint of black sheep bitter or <laughs> on a hot day pint of cold lager uh, I, I do me, like that as well i do like that as well cocktails are too small i just there's a lot of faff going along shaking of things and then i slug it back in one and hand over 20 pounds and uh, and then i'm going for a cup of tea 
you wouldn't be able to slug my uh, my dirty martinis back in one. Trust me, it would. Oh. Um, you'd be on the floor. I think. <laughs> Uh, what I would very much like to do then when we meet again is to go on one of your Alan Partridge tours around <laughs> Southeast London. You can show me some intro, your favourite gas works and then uh, go back back to yours for a, a dirty <laughs> martini in the garden. How's that sound? That sounds good. I mean, I would argue the pint of black sheep bitter is probably quite Alan Partridge, but um, I could definitely I could definitely do your cocktail. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jack. I've really enjoyed talking to you today and uh, good luck with the the ramblers campaign you're doing you're doing good stuff thank you thank you very much i hope you've enjoyed this episode of living adventurously if you did please do rate and review the series on your podcast app it really helps please also take a quick screenshot right now <laughs> and send it to any of your friends who might appreciate listening. There are dozens of episodes for them to dip into. And if you enjoy mulling over the questions on my deck of cards, you can now try them out yourself. I've put them all into a notebook for living adventurously, which you can buy on my website. And whilst you're there, why not sign up for one of my three email newsletters or two other podcast series? Okay, enough of the sales talk. Thank you very, very much indeed for listening to Living Adventurously. I hope you'll come again soon.